0: This is Tech Refactored. I'm your host, Lysandra Marquez, associate producer of this show. This episode of the podcast is going to be a little bit different than the rest. This time, we're featuring two special segments exploring the work of two members of our faculty, Professor Kyle Langvart, who specializes in constitutional law, and also our own center director and usual host, Professor Gus Hurwitz. These segments were recorded for Faculty 101, a University of Nebraska-Lincoln podcast that offers a listen into the pursuits and perspectives of Husker faculty, hosted by Mary Jane Bruce. In his segment, Kyle talks about the complex issues related to free speech and governance of social media and why it's important for students and universities to study them.
1: are bombarded with content on social media. Kyle Langvart, an assistant professor at the Nebraska College of Law, is not a fan.
2: No, I don't smoke either. Um, I mean, I just, you know, I don't want to do that to, to myself.
1: In fact, Langvart put off getting a smartphone as long as possible. He just didn't want the added stress.
2: But even just looking at regular news, I think there's kind of an addictive quality and I, I notice in myself, if, I've, uh, you know, if I'm reading news as I brush my teeth, uh, that I think my mental state gets a little more, a little more scattered and, and frenetic and, and paranoid. <clears throat> and so I can't even imagine what uh, in, you know, this kind of video game atmosphere of social media might do.
1: Langvart does study social media platforms in connection with his work at the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center. This is Faculty 101, Five Things About Social Media and the First Amendment. Kyle Langvart started out looking at the expansion of the First Amendment into areas where it doesn't belong.
2: That kind of work brought me to the the cases involving involving computer code and um, the the application of the First Amendment to like 3D printed weaponry. these arguments that I think are kind of kind of crazy. And then uh, eventually sev- several years ago, I started thinking, well, maybe at, at some point we'll see some kind of law that tries to constrain these really large platforms' power to, Uh, to govern speech. So I I write about the First Amendment's application to these platforms, but I also write a lot about uh, different types of policy interventions that might be possible either in the near or in in the long term, that kind of thing.
1: As part of his research, he addresses the complex free speech and governance issues surrounding social media platforms. Number one, when it comes to social media, the rights of users are, well,
2: The short answer, at least if we're talking legally, is they don't have any. Um, The the platforms aren't state actors. They're they're not the government. They're not in some kind of joint enterprise with the government. They don't perform a traditional, exclusive governmental function. So the First Amendment just doesn't apply to them. And we don't really have other uh, other types of anti-discrimination principles that apply to online platforms either. So if, if we're talking about the, the rights of of users, you know, their rights are really the rights that the platforms grant them.
1: Number two, social media companies do make an effort at self-regulation, setting up potential conflicts with freedom of speech.
2: I mean the platforms have to regulate themselves. If they didn't the platforms the platforms would become unusable and they'd become a pretty serious threat to the public, by the way. I mean in other countries. Where, uh, say, Facebook has underinvested in its content moderation oper- operation—basically, its censors. There, there's been ethnic ethnic violence and that kind of thing that that's been linked pretty pretty clear to, clearly to activity on the platform. So they have to do a lot of that kind of thing. I guess the question is, uh, what kinds of self-regulation? do we like and what kind of self-regulation don't we like. And normally when we talk about something like uh, content moderation, what we're talking about is the platform stepping in after the fact.
1: You are temporarily blocked from posting on Facebook.
2: And either uh, removing certain posts, suspending accounts. This post has been removed. Demoting speech in people's news feed. All of that is, is content based and traditionally at least if we were in a you know a normal like first amendment context we'd have a very suspicious attitude toward any of that you know we apply just the closest possible scrutiny to any kind of content based regulation i think the way that a platform like facebook is is set up there's basically no way around around doing that But what I would really like to see from the platforms is changes in the way that it's set up, you know, changes that that it's designed. One concern that I have about these social media platforms that are ad-based and therefore dependent on, on virality is that they have a tendency to make speech a lot more dangerous than it's, than it's traditionally been. You know, the, the linkage between speech and harm is just much tighter than it's been before. And once you've kind of changed the background physics of speech and communication and, and discourse, I think at a certain point, the freedom of speech is just no longer a viable proposition. And that's basically where we live now.
1: Number three, Twitter tested a feature to encourage users to, as the platform says, Read it before you retweet it. If a user tries to share an article on Twitter based only on the headline, a prompt pops up asking if the user wants to read the article first.
2: That's a content neutral intervention. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't require anybody to come in and make some kind of judgment about what kind of speech is valuable or what's not, uh, but it has the effect of slowing speech down maybe making speech a little a little bit more uh, deliberative and, and hopefully reducing the prevalence of harm without requiring these kinds of more, more disturbing interventions. I think the thing is uh, platforms don't want to do too much of that because once speech becomes too deliberative uh, their, their business model is, is shot. I mean what, what they want to do is is walk people through um, a, a, an experience that leads them to purchase more products. And so deliberation is basically the enemy there.
1: <laughs> Langvart would like to see more of that type of change in the way platforms operate.
2: As social media uh, attains more and more influence, you begin to move to a point where you, you pretty much just have to rely on, on censorship to avoid harm that's, that's related to speech. And so I think that's a pretty disturbing development. Um, And I'd like to see public policies that tried to head off that that dynamic. You know, I think that the freedom of speech requires a kind of background social uh, resiliency. And if you're living in a social situation that's characterized by uh, low public trust, hot, hot emotions, a way of thinking about politics that becomes almost like sectarian, you know. Um, then you begin, you begin to get to a place where you, you can no longer really say that the best way to address bad ideas is uh, by allowing good ideas to, to flow un- unrestricted. So I think what we really need to do as a society is, is try to recreate that, that resilience wherever, wherever we can. Um, but that's a much harder thing to do than just allowing a platform to step in after the fact and take down speech speech that's bad.
1: Your account has been suspended. Number four, Langvard is working on a project that will examine the role of media and governance.
2: The idea here would be to look at... Um, not just social platforms, but also more traditional media outlets like newspapers, TV, radio, uh, as as mechanisms for actually governing and, and constraining constraining social conduct, and and uh, talking about their interaction with with legal mechanisms and and so on. We're planning to draw together scholars from you know all around the country, all around around the world, not just in law, but but also in in uh, journalism, uh, computer science, out, outside the academy, uh, to, to talk about these things.
1: And number five, it's important for students to learn about these issues and for universities to study them.
2: Different classes can kinda of touch on on uh, technology in, in all sorts of ways, but what gets left out I think if you have uh, just kind of scattered references to technology is um, the, the fact that technology itself uh, it is a kind of governance institution that the design of uh, networks and, and infrastructure and, and, and apps have uh, a role in, in structuring social behavior that's really very similar to what uh, to what law does, and um, if you are are not mindful of that, then I, I think I think you wind up um, missing missing a lot of insights, uh, not just not just in practice but but as a citizen. I think the danger is that you can begin to look at these kinds of uh, design design choices as uh, something other than choices. You can, you can start to look at, at technology as just uh, nature or some kind of un- unstoppable force rather than an actual mechanism for, uh, for, for governance. And so if we, we're not aware of that aspect of what what technology is, how it's constructed, what what it does, then we can wind up just kind of sleepwalking toward a a kind of uh, technocracy where we've wound up uh, outsourcing all kinds of decisions to uh, people whose names we don't even know. And by the way, I I would say that's what we're doing with the freedom of speech right now.
1: That's Faculty 101, Five Things with Kyle Langvaart. Faculty 101 is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln.
0: Welcome back, listeners. We hope you're enjoying learning more about some of our faculty in this unique episode of Tech Refactored. Remember, if you like our show, the best way to show it is word of mouth. Tell a friend and keep tuning in. In our next segment, Gus Hurwitz shares his perspective on current challenges to cybersecurity and the mission of the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center.
1: It's hard to imagine a world without high-speed internet. It allows us to shop, go to school. I'm going to go ahead and get started. Yay. Yay! Hold meetings with colleagues who are working from home.
2: We'll try to do just like a half an hour meeting today.
1: But Americans in rural areas lack access to broadband, lagging behind their city counterparts. It's called the rural digital divide. It's just one of the issues studied by researchers at the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center housed in the College of Law at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Gus Hurwitz is director of the center.
3: The Governance and Technology Center uh, studies how uh, technology and law work together to shape the institutions that really define how we as individuals live in a society. Um, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that technology over the last 20 or 30 years has really changed a lot about every aspect of our lives, from the law to our norms, uh, to how government operates, how we get information, how we learn, how we produce food. Everything is shaped by technology.
1: When it comes to issues related to current and future technology, the Center takes a new approach.
3: I actually like the word transdisciplinary, uh, going to the idea that we're moving to a new discipline. We're building something new. We're building a, a new cohort of scholars and students who have a new language so that they can talk together.
1: This is Faculty 101, Five Things About the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center.
2: Tonight, we are learning more about a cyber attack forcing the shutdown of one of the main pipelines supplying gas and diesel fuel. A ransomware
1: attack leading to the shutdown of a major fuel pipeline demonstrates the importance of cybersecurity. security. Pipeline supplies nearly half of
3: all fuel consumed on the East Coast.
1: Bringing Colonial Pipeline on- shut down the critical energy artery for a time to prevent malicious software from spreading throughout the system. After paying the ransom, the pipeline was back in business. Cybersecurity problems like ransomware suffer from a lack of government regulation. Number one, Gus Hurwitz says the pipeline company did the right thing by being transparent about what was happening and by cooperating with government investigators. But more regulation is needed.
3: Going to this idea of governance uh, in cybersecurity, one of the challenges is that we don't have the equivalent of an NTSB, uh, uh, National Transportation Safety Board. When there is an uh, airliner crash, when there is some serious transportation accident, there are obligations that carriers disclose that to the government. The government sends in a team, uh, a Boeing, if it involves a Boeing plane, they'll send in their investigators. They'll all work together to figure out what the heck happened. How do we address this issue? What lessons can we learn to avoid this going forward? With cybersecurity, it's the Wild West. Generally, a problem happens. A major industry is shut down. A major company is shut down. And what's their response? We don't want the public. We don't want our investors to hear about this because that could hurt our stock price. We don't want the government to hear about this because that could launch to an investigation about how we're handling our data. Whether or not that's true, there's historically been a lot of reticence and a lot of concern about this. So they keep it quiet. So we're not learning from each other. We're not learning lessons about how to prevent this uh, going forward and uh, in the future. This is all starting to change. We're we're getting much uh, uh, more sophisticated understanding about the need for cooperation.
1: Number two, the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center is there to provide research and education in areas like cybersecurity. From vaccine technology and driverless cars to First Amendment issues and social media. The center hopes to inform those searching for solutions to complex issues.
3: With uh, Facebook and social media, one of the challenges is who decides and on what grounds. Very traditionally, the law is very binary. You did something that injured someone, you need to be punished. There's some remedy there. And those remedies are typically either you have to stop, we call that an injunction, or you pay damages. Well, uh, so, injunctions and damages. Things are more complicated online and with these uh, online sorts of harms, uh, so we're trying to figure out more complex ways of addressing speech harms. To prevent them beforehand, or uh, to address them after they've happened. So Facebook, they have this thing called the Facebook Oversight Board, which is a, a group of experts that Facebook has convened, and they have contractually said we will bind ourselves to whatever this group of experts decide. So that's something that Facebook is trying. Um, Twitter has taken a different sort of approach. Uh, we, uh, you might have seen Twitter uh, if you try and retweet an article nowadays without having uh, read it. They are. Going Going to say, would you like to read this before you retweet it? They have a a new thing now where they're uh, using artificial intelligence to decide whether or not uh, a reply sounds mean. Are there mean sounding words there? And then if there are, they're saying, are you sure that you want to send this? So instead of trying to deal with problems. After the fact, with more complex governance systems, their governance approach is trying to help users identify, how do you slow down and think about this to avoid the harm? So we're, we're experimenting with all sorts of this stuff. We live in such a complex world that we need more complex, nuanced governance approaches.
1: Number three. The Nebraska Governance and Technology Center conducts research and helps inform policymakers as they struggle to develop regulations. For example, the center will focus on questions around high-speed Internet access in rural areas.
3: One of the things that we're working to convene is a uh, Rural Broadband Research Initiative, which is going to be a network of rural-based academics who are all studying and expert in this field, so that when there are questions from DC, when uh, the National Science Foundation has questions about rural broadband research, will be a place that they can just go to to say, hey, we've got this question, and they'll have a group of academics who are ready to do research, who understand what the reality on the ground is, what the needs of rural communities are, who are able to engage with them in a really comprehensive way.
1: Number four. Hurwitz has a variety of experience. He worked at the Los Alamos National Lab and was on a team that earned a Guinness World Record for internet to land speed, pushing the performance boundaries of high-speed internet. He interned at the Naval Research Lab, went to law school, earned a degree in economics. He was a trial attorney for the U.S. Department of Justice Antitrust Division in the Telecommunications and Media Enforcement section. As director of the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center, Hurwitz faces new challenges every day.
3: It's not just a fire hose of information and activity, it's multiple fire hoses. Um, It's impossible to keep up to speed on everything that's going on, which makes it fascinating. Every day there are two or three really interesting things. Um, Beyond that, there's so much academic and research energy, the students, uh, it's great to work with students in this area. In large part because so much of technology we just kind of assume and understand and we don't stop to think about and ask wait what's going on with my phone when I click send who owns that information where does this meat that I'm eating come from when I turn on it off that light switch what's actually going on and there are complex technological systems behind all of that. There are complex legal systems behind all of that. There are complex supply chains behind all of that. And showing students when you turn on a light switch, this is what happens. Um, You have these different regulatory tariffs if you're doing this at home versus uh, in a business environment. Uh, uh, Depending on how the energy is generated, uh, it's going to trigger all these technology systems, all this stuff going on. And it changes how you think about and see the world. And it doesn't take much of this for students to say, wow, this is complicated, but also I'm I'm understanding this and seeing these connections, and it's really interesting. Um, Everyone involved in anything in this area, it's always a new thing every day.
1: And number five, Hurwitz believes the center has the potential to change the way we deal with some of the most pressing challenges of the future.
3: I want the students that we're working with, the researchers here at the university, uh, uh, to be able to think about and develop these questions and answers to these questions so that four, five, six years from now, we're putting people out into the Nebraska workforce who are able to be doing really cutting edge interdisciplinary work to address these next generation technology governance problems.
1: The Nebraska Governance and Technology Center has its own podcast. Tech Refactored can be found on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Play. We'll put a link in the show notes. That's Faculty 101, Five Things with Gus Hurwitz. Faculty 101 is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln.
0: I am your host, Lysandra Marquez. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Tech Refactored. If you want to learn more about what we're doing at NGTC or submit an idea for a future episode, you can go to our website at ngtc.unl.edu or you can follow us on Twitter at unlunderscore NGTC. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Our show is produced by myself and Ellsworth Magilton. Colin McCarthy created and recorded our theme music. This podcast is part of the Menard Governance and Technology Programming Series.